welcome to Regeneratively Speaking, a podcast brought to you by the Wake Forest Institute for Regenerative Medicine in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. I'm Katherine Drinkett. And I'm Joshua Huntsberger. In each episode, we bring you interviews with guest researchers and our Institute's faculty covering the latest cutting-edge research on regenerative medicine. Today we have Associate Professor Brendan Harley from University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign in the Department of Chemical and Biomedical Engineering. Welcome. Thank you. So I'd like to start off with you providing some background on your early undergraduate research experience at Harvard, which was in the areas of uh, engineering sciences. So from your CV, your thesis project focused on design and fabrication of a novel device to produce large arrays of fluid combinations. Could you tell us a bit about this work and how did this set the stage for your career in research? Well, it came out of uh, a summer research job I had. I was in the engineering sciences program, at, but was really interested in translation maybe to more bioengineering or tissue engineering, and there wasn't really the same density of bioengineering undergraduate programs at that time. And so the way I got around that is I was doing the traditional engineering curriculum for my undergraduate. And I worked in a lab over at Harvard Medical School that was part of um, the Center for Blood Research. They were working on a, a, a leukemia project. And I was, you know, a, you know, the standard undergraduate assistant cleaning glassware and opening boxes and <laughs> working my way up to, you know, eventually doing some experiments. And, it, you know, I worked for, for them for three summers, and it was really great. Uh, and I learned a lot about design of experiments and just the the broader way to think about projects, you know, it was something where being involved in a research team and having postdocs and grad students involved in different uh, elements of the, the biological question we were looking at, which had to do with some of the, the, the early transformation events in leukemia. And out of that, I was having to do a senior thesis. And, you know, one of the things you, we had to do as a the Bachelor of Science program was some sort of thesis, and it was a year-long design project. So I had to have design in oh, it. Wow. And so the summer before my senior year, I was getting a little nervous about it. And we were at lunch, <laughs> you know, many times during the summer when I was working with the leukemia lab, talking about things that might help automate uh, responses. And so we were inspired mm -hmm. by the idea of flow cytometry, and I could sort cells. And we were thinking about ways you could use similar droplet technologies to create combinations of chemicals, a sort of high-speed pipetting, and whether or not you could do the same idea with... Um, with charge-based um, signals. And so that was what turned into this design project, was figuring out if I could create an array-based platform that would do combinations of fluids that would run through a, a liquid core and go through uh, between charged plates and use that to deflect the droplets as they fell, as you'd mm. see in a, as a standard fax in order to sort cells, but then it would actually create an array of, of droplets, ideally, into like a 96-volt plate. Yeah. So it didn't totally work, but uh, it, not to the 96-volt plate, but it was really valuable to think about how do you think outside the box to address a, you know, not having to pipette all yeah. the time. And from that experience, do you have any advice for undergraduates as they consider research projects? The biggest advice I can have is get into a research lab. You know, the, for me, I, I worked in this leukemia lab and then went to graduate school in mechanical engineering working on biomaterials and kind of came back to it with a postdoc in immunology, but the reality was the most important thing for me at that stage was learning what research really is, and it's not just running experiments and solving a problem. There's a lot of stages to problem solving, 
experimental development, yeah. thinking about how do you design the right experiment to answer the question you want, and how do you back that up from the literature. And so learning that that process was something that was enjoyable to me was far more important than the specific topic that I had to get into this lab in order to get on to graduate school or the yeah. like. So you then did a master's and graduate program at MIT in mechanical engineering. How did you navigate this transition and what drove you to have more of a sort of bioengineering focus in your research projects? Well, so that came a lot out of uh, my mentor. So okay. Yanni Anas was, uh, he still is a faculty member in the mechanical engineering department and developed the initial Integra uh, dermal regeneration template, so artificial skin used for burn patients back in the 70s and 80s. And so he had been always interested in the idea of regeneration and how do you use the body's regenerative potential to heal different tissues? And that led to sort of the biomaterial design component. And so for me, I found it, you know, it kind of harkened back to when I saw, you know, the mouse on the back of the ear back in the yeah. early 90s and, you know, on the cover of the Boston Globe. And I thought that would be so cool to work in. And it felt to me like it was part science fiction and part, you know, real science and engineering. But it was, it was just an area where I felt like I could play and use my use skills that I was developing to you know address problems that had real health implications. So you've re received many notable awards including a Harvard College scholarship, NSF career award, and a young investigator award from the Society for Biomaterials uh, and and others. Um, is there one particular award that holds special meaning for you or has made a deep impact in your career? That's a hard question. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a really good question. I mean, they're all they're, they're all nice in their own way, I suppose. Yeah. The thing that stands out about some of them that really, I think, meant the most is as an assistant professor, and I think I'm going to talk about some of the awards that may be associated with you know, early tenure track. You know, that's a very tough time um, as, a, as a young PI. You're mm -hmm. moving from an environment where you're working for, most cases, established investigators on defined research projects, and then you sort of step into this unknown of designing your own research projects, developing your own identity. And so I feel like that's a time where you're trying to get funding and things are very, it can be, it, it can be a very tough time, you know, to, to get to the point where you feel like you're mentoring students the way you wanted to mentor them, that they're doing good science and you have an identity to your lab. And so I think the Young Investigator Award was really nice for two reasons. One, it was... You know, something that was a nomination process that I had that I had someone approach me that wanted to nominate me because they had read some papers of mine that they liked, and I thought that was really yeah. that meant that you know my lab was was doing well, and I take that a reflection of the students and trainees I have in my group that we had finally gelled and had sort of developed an identity, and to me that means a lot because it can feel like it's going to take forever, but it's something that it happens, and it's amazing when you see these trainees that are developing their own technologies and are, are working as a team and that that to me was probably the best yeah great patents often hold the key to being able to translate a scientific idea into a commercial product uh, in regenerative medicine this often equates with bringing regenerative medicine based technologies one step closer to the clinic uh, for instance, one of your patents is invaginated angiogenic um, scaffolds for regeneration of large organs. I was wondering if you could give our listeners your perspective on the utility of patents in advancing technologies and some of the challenges that you've had to overcome in this process. That's a really good question. Uh, you know, patents are a, 
are a necessary thing, particularly in the context of you know, regenerative medicine, where you have the costs associated with getting a technology through to the clinic are so high and the timescales are so long that you can understand the motivation to have protection of intellectual property. Uh, the thing that's that's tough and it's a, it's a balancing act is, you know, what is the patent that's going to be truly important? What's the <laughs> what's going to have the most value? And, you know, you could talk to, you know, the conversations I've had with the patent attorneys and our techn- technology licensing office. Yeah. Those are not easy things to predict. And so the it's it's a it's a tough field to navigate, particularly as an early PI, because I had the experience of at the end of grad school being part of a, a company uh, and you know, because we were part of the company and had uh, IP as d- wrapped up within it, I wasn't able to publish on some stuff that I was working yeah. on for many years. And so it was a, about a four-year delay from when we wrote the paper to when we finally published the paper. And it was holding for patent reasons. And so that can be, as a young investigator trying to, you know, get your name out there and get your science out there, that can be very difficult. And it can be hard sometimes to balance the... Well, I know I need to protect this intellectual idea, but I really need to tell people about it too because I want, I, I, because it's important for my my basic development. So I think the most important thing is is getting familiar with how the patent process works and how the intellectual property process works and how you know technology licensing offices in your home universities can be really helpful to think about how you navigate that. So I've found I can rely more and more. It's not a it's not an adversarial process with them. It's actually a process where there's feedback and there's an attempt to try to come up with distill your ideas down to what the core element is. So that invaginated um, scaffolds was one that came out of a series of discussions I had with my advisor Yanni, uh, where we were thinking about how to address orthogonal challenges. And you know oftentimes in tissue engineering you have competing interests that you have to try to solve. And we are trying to come up with ways to have improved uh, nutrient influx into biomaterials in the absence of vessels while still maintaining the native structure of the scaffold that we needed to design for a different purpose. And I think there's a lot of opportunities for intellectual property at these interfaces between you know, competing interests in tissue engineering. And it's, it's an area where there's, I think, great opportunities, but it's also one you have to balance. And so talking to the tech office really helps. Yeah, great. So your talk today, harnessing niche concepts for regenerative medicine, brought up many different topics. I was wondering if you could expand upon some of them. I mean, from my notes, some of the things that I thought were really interesting, um, engineering functional tissue avatars, also having instructive biomaterials, and um, being able to create um, models for looking at um, glioblastoma Mm -hmm. microenvironments and and how you might be able to develop novel therapies. Well, I think, I mean, the the broad picture is that the tissues in our body are complex. And, you know, I think that was the point I was trying to make early on is that you look at so many of the tissues and organs in our body and they vary in space, they vary in time, there's hierarchical organization associated with them, there's multiple cell types, there's a lot of complexity. And there's opportunities in the biomaterials world to think about the biomaterial as a instructive signal, a way that you can impart a particular class of signals to cells or multiple cells within uh, a culture that can have value from a therapeutic or translational standpoint. And so a lot of what I was, was playing with was this idea that material templates biology. 
and the 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 long-term goal there is you want to think about ways that you can take cells from a patient and use them to either heal the patient or predict outcomes in a manner that's consistent with the regulatory environment in which we exist. And so a lot of the work I talked about for musculoskeletal repair was thinking about ways to move away from using growth factors. And that's partially, you could argue that's a cost thing, but the reality is that's, that's an issue for translation where you have to have pre-cultured cells and lots of growth factors, and you have to worry about diffusive loss and the, and the like. Those are hard problems to solve in a, from a translational standpoint, and that was something that my mentor Yanni uh, really pushed from an early stage, is that if you don't see a direct path to clinical translation, that's going to be a tough road for you to sell to someone else to mm. think about clinical translation. Yeah. And so a lot of what my work is doing is the, the nascent stages of thinking about ways to template cell response in space and time, to try to start addressing interesting problems at interfaces, tissue interfaces, tumor margins, this process of stem cell engineering and how you incorporate multiple classes of signals to drive um, hematopoiesis. I think these are all intriguing biologies where there's some degree of heterogeneity that we're trying to recapitulate. And I think that's really the goal my lab is, is striving to get to. Cool. Is there anything that I've missed? Probably just the last thing I'd mention. This is something I was talking about with the trainees afterwards is that you know, the, the path for a trainee uh, can seem like a long one. And there's yeah. lots of opportunities for you to get involved and work on projects at different scales. And the, the thing I was trying to impart to them is that this is a business in which we're thinking about advanced ways to improve human health. And that's really an end goal that can't be devoid of understanding the clinical problems and clinical realities. And so it's really easy for us to talk about brain cancer and give survival statistics. It's really easy for us to talk about hematopoietic stem cell transplant and give survival statistics or to say what fraction of these uh, rotator cuff surgeries fail. The reality is that those have human costs and it's really easy to make the science sterile as we talked a lot about after, yeah. the, after, the, after the session and that you can report that as a desire to come up with a, a clinical platform, but rea in reality, embracing the, the human element of this project makes it so it's much more real. And you have to think about, you know, if this, if this therapeutic intervention is, is doing a poor job right now, how is what I'm doing really going to impact that condition? Because there are real patients and real people that have these defects and needs. And it's, I think, important to embrace that human element to what we do because it, it's very easy to just think about it as a signal transduction pathway or as a differentiation pathway or as imaging a, a response under a microscope but that's all in the service of understanding this biology or health need and that's really whereas engineers we have this opportunity to you know really assemble the the tools and approaches to address these problems and you know keeping that in mind and keeping your mind open to look at opportunities at interfaces and know move laterally or work in orthogonal directions those are all things that engineers should be trained for anyways and so embracing that is your mantra is really a good thing yeah great is there any take-home message for for listeners today the takeaway i think is that as a field where you know my lab is just part of a multitude of groups that are working really hard to think about ways that we can improve health and oftentimes there's opportunities that we we're taking and we're, we're making that are long-term investments. And I think this is something that's brought up a lot when you think about funding. Uh, and so I, I spend some time talking to 
uh, constituent groups as part of the American Cancer Society, who is one of the agencies that's funded me in the past. And one of the things that I think is really important to bring up is that progress in tissue engineering and human health is a long-standing effort. It's not curing cancer tomorrow. It's a cancer that when I was a seven-year-old was ubiquitously fatal. You know, 30 years later, my seven-year-old, thankfully, she's healthy, but if she came down with some of these cancers, we can treat that almost perfectly. And so that's a generation investment yeah. in healthcare improvement. And that's the type of investment that is important and that's thinking in the long road that, you know, if 30 years ago neuroblastomas were almost ubiquitously fatal, now they're not. You know, what, what are we going to be curing 30 years from now? Or what are we going to be able to, to do, whether it's cancer disease or regeneration of limbs, that we can do, but that's not a next year process. That is a strategic long-term investment. And those are things that I think in general, we as scientists need to do a really good job or a better job, you know, enunciating to the public that these are long-standing processes, but have, have long-term potential to drastically change how we treat patients. Great. Thanks. No problem. That's all for this episode. Be sure to listen next time for the latest in regenerative medicine. This podcast is a production of Wake Forest Institute for Regenerative Medicine, part of Wake Forest Baptist Medical Center. For more information, visit our website at www.wfirm.org or follow us on Facebook or Twitter at WFIRM News.